For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet the artists behind Invisible Theater's production of Gloria, A Life, a celebration of Gloria Steinem. What is soul? Raymond Murphy, a Tucson musician and advocate for social justice, shares the inspiration behind Soul Food Wednesdays at Hotel Congress. And this is the second week of the UA What's Up Docs Film Festival. SAS Christy Scheel returns with more recommendations for exceptional short films you can watch free online. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. An ambitious staging of an award-winning play begins on February 17th at Invisible Theater. Gloria, A Life, is both an exploration and celebration of the many achievements of Gloria Steinem. It was written with Steinem's participation. In revisiting key moments, it is designed to inspire the audience to recognize their own ability to make positive change today. And afterwards, it invites those in attendance to share their personal stories in a talking circle. Gloria, A Life, was written by Tony-nominated playwright Emily Mann. It may be more correct to say that the play is still being written, as it is often updated to add more contemporary events to Steinem's ongoing life story. Emily Mann explains. I didn't decide to write a part of her story. I really wanted to do the whole arc, because the whole idea was that, in a way, it was her stage autobiography. It was in her own words, and the impetus for telling her story was by telling her story, she could say to others, you can do it too, you can be an activist too, you can get past all the obstacles in your life and find a way forward to a meaningful life. And so that meant going back to her very, very troubled childhood. I suppose that the first story came when she was eight years old um, and she was taking care of her very disturbed mother and all alone in a condemned house in East Toledo and how that shaped and formed her. And she knew that she could not become her mother. Tell us something about your personal experience with Gloria Steinem. I first met Gloria, and I thought she would never remember this, but I've written um, a play that you now know called Having Our Say, and it was on Broadway. And we were in the midst of an evening celebrating extraordinary American women, and she was one. And I went up to her to introduce myself, and she looked at me and she said, Emily, it's so nice to see you again. We've met 
briefly, briefly, like three years earlier, and, and she said, I want to introduce you to my friend, Anita Hill. And I was flabbergasted, and I met Anita Hill, and we had a great conversation. Um, and the next time was when she called me to say, will you write my life story for the stage? And then we became very close and, you know, in daily contact for about four years. Emily, I'd like to know, as you learned about Gloria's life, as you learned about Gloria herself, and you wrote this play around her, what did you discover were her strengths that allowed her to be who she was in that turbulent time and make advancement on behalf of women around the world? What I think I came to love most about Gloria is that she was terrified of public speaking, and she became one of the most dynamic public speakers I have ever seen. She was a woman who wanted to stay home and write and be invisible, and she became one of the most visible women of her generation. She was a mass of contradictions, and out of that, as she calls herself, sort of mess or stew, came someone who could be vulnerable enough that she could let all women in and all men in and saw a way for people to grow and find themselves in a movement. And for her, the movement was about joining men and women together and people of all sexual identity, all gender, to find harmony and equity and a hope in a very, very difficult world. And the play itself is about first you hear her story and then we ask you, the audience, does Gloria's story resonate at all with you and what is it? And people tell their own stories. And it's one of those great healing live experiences. Actor and musician To Renee Wolf, one of our community's busiest performers, plays an important role as one of the many women who made contributions to the equal rights movement, lawyer and activist Florence Kennedy. Wolf says that it was inspiring to learn about Kennedy's life. She is one of the women who basically taught Gloria how to be Gloria, how to stand up, how to speak in terms of getting over her fear of public speaking, giving her kind of the wind at her back. And one of those people was Florence Kennedy. And I did not know of her. So I've been doing a lot of reading and researching and watching videos of how she spoke and how she carried herself. She had this great sense of style. She wore cowboy hats and lots of jewelry and pink sunglasses and was this force to be reckoned with. So it's been quite the thing to get to know who she was. I knew about Shirley Chisholm, who was the first woman to run for president on the Democratic Party um, for the nomination. But there were other women that just slipped by me that I was not taught about. So to know about someone like Flo Kennedy in retrospect, there's always this kind of like, why didn't I know that? How is it I could have grown up not hearing about her and not knowing about her? And now that I do, she's become a guidepost or this being that I can look to for guidance, even though she's in the ancestral realm. In terms of the larger story that Gloria tells about that era, what did you learn personally? Was there something, Torene, that stood out to you that was a new addition to your understanding of that transformative time? We still have so much huge work to do to live up 
to the words on paper that describe our country. The whole idea of the American dream. I always say the American dream is wonderful, but it simply has to be dreamed larger. So in this moment, at this nexus point, at this fractious time, to be allowed to work on this play to overcome whatever fears I have about COVID and getting it and then taking all the precautions. And Invisible Theater has gone above and beyond, which is one reason why I feel safe there doing this. I think it's an important story to tell. The real history of who we are and how we connect. I think there's that the idea that we've not been told our real history because our history is, is horrific. But the only way that we can shift and change is by looking it squarely in the face, grappling with it, and then committing to do better. The title role in Gloria, A Life is performed by Cynthia Jeffrey, an actor with a long history of Tucson stage experience who now lives in Hawaii. Jeffries begins by describing her earliest memories of knowing who Gloria Steinem was. Well, I am now 60 years old. So when Gloria Steinem was really hitting the headlines, I think in the 60s and early 70s, I was still a young girl. Uh, I was between the age of, let's say, 10 and 15. So I I remember walking in uh, on the living room and and seeing my mother watching, you know, news programs of various rallies and so forth that was taking place. My earliest memory of Gloria Steinem was, that girl has got style. (laughs) Uh, you know, she caught my attention because she was at a podium, she was speaking to some masses, and, and yet she was calm and, and cool and collected, and she looked sharp and modern. That was probably my first impression. As I go back and review many of the videos that I see when she's being interviewed, or she's interviewing someone else, like let's say Robert Redford, for example, I find that Gloria Steinem repeats herself quite often. There's certain catchphrases that she uses uh, and has continued to use over the years because they're still as powerful now as they were then. Hopeaholic. Hopeaholic is a big one. You know, that, that's, that's, a diff- that's a big one. And in particular, the show to this that we're doing now, which centers so much around the importance of the paradigm of a circle rather than a pyramid, uh, linking rather than ranking as being a major aha moment for Gloria Steinem and was a a driving force for her in everything she did. Basically, to to quote Gloria, she says, if you want people to listen to you, you have to listen to them. If you hope people will change how they live, you have to know how they live. And if you want people to see you, you have to sit down with them eye to eye. And it's really how she's lived her life. It's been wonderful for me to, to study her and read these words and play her because I find a lot of parallels in my own life. What are you able to depend on inside yourself as a woman to portray Gloria as a character? The insecurities that Gloria felt in the beginning, being uh, a product of the environment that she grew up in and being unsure of whether it was proper to break out of those norms. It's what I would call normal for anyone who's in their early 20s. You know, we're constantly questioning ourselves. She had to unlearn a lot of what she learned. And uh, there was probably a bit of a rebelliousness that went along with that, uh, much like I experienced in my life. 
And I think for me, Gloria speaks more to me now as the woman I am at the age of 60 than she would have ever spoken to me when I was, you know, in my 20s or 30s even, or even 40s. I just don't think I'd had enough life experience to be able to relate to her as much as I do now. And finally, here is Susan Clausen, Managing Artistic Director of Invisible Theater and the producer and director of Gloria, A Life. I began by asking Clausen to describe how the last 12 months of pandemic life has been as an arts presenter in Tucson. A roller coaster. <laughs> and I've never been one to like roller coasters. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, bumper cars I can deal with. Okay. It's been up and down. I, um, like Gloria, I consider myself a hopeaholic. To me, hoping is a sort of planning, and I've always been a planner. And uh, immediately when we were shuttered a year ago, we went about focusing on what we can do and not dwelling on what we can't do. And we came up with protocols. And my staff and wonderful board just thought about how we would feel safe going to the theater again. And it's all about being in the room together. It's 22 people in the audience. Obviously, it's not a sustainable business plan, but number one is safety of our artists and the truth of the artistic endeavor cannot be compromised. So you've been planning on bringing Gloria to the Invisible Theater stage for a while now, but what changes have you had to make to bring this to the stage right now? When I originally saw the play uh, and chose to do it, it was extremely timely. It was 2018. The play originally ended with the Women's March in 2017. And when we chose to do this, I spoke with Emily about how we make this current or a period piece, because we all heard the ceiling shatter with uh, our vice president and with others. And so that's pretty exciting that we will have some moments that are uh, take us to right now, but the opening that Gloria says is, you know, here we are together in the room. We're not behind our little screens. We're not on our phones. Well, that resonates even more deeply than it did in, <laughs> in 2018. This play is about the talking circle. It was originally done in the round. We have created that feeling of circle and encouraging people to be engaged to the point that their own story, which is as important as any story being told because it's their story, will always have a forum. I think everyone working on this is a hopeaholic, and it's harder to be optimistic in these days, but there's no other way to be. Invisible Theater's production of Gloria, A Life, debuts on Wednesday, February 17th, and runs through the 28th. There's a link for the full schedule and details of Invisible Theater's COVID safety procedures on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Yes, the night.
Next, in a profile produced by U of A journalism student Tommy Lorene, we'll meet Raymond Murphy. We'll find out what drives Murphy to create events, host fundraisers, and advocate for equality and social justice in the community that he has adopted as home. In May 2020, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, George Floyd, a black man in Minneapolis, was killed by police. The protests and social media commentary that followed brought the deep-seated injustice of blatant police brutality and racial profiling to the forefront. And Ray, who posts motivational videos and quotes on social media almost every day, wanted to do more for his community. David Slutz is the entertainment director of the historic Congress Hotel in downtown Tucson. I immediately reached out to people I knew who were community organizers who I really trusted and liked and respected, who could maybe give me some help putting it together. And Ray was like the first person I brought to the table. And I knew he'd be my first go-to when I wanted to put something together that was progressive. That's sort of how I look at Ray. He's special. Ray and David went on to create Soul Food Wednesdays, an event celebrating the Black culture, food, music, artists, and vendors of Tucson. Ray describes the meaning of soul food. Soul food is love, you know what I mean? So like when you go to, say, a Sunday dinner or something like that, you know, what they do is, you know, your family will get together, you know, everybody will bust down. They all come and cook, all your aunties, your uncles, whoever the best cooks are in the family. Everybody collectively cooks and then eats. And that's soul food Sunday because everybody putting their love in, you know what I'm saying? Be supportive, that's what it is. It's a community-like thing. It's a family type of thing, so you want that. You want that setting, you want that feeling. You want to try to put it in a little capsule, ball it all up, and just bring it to Congress real quick on a Wednesday. The community of Tucson seems to have fully embraced Soul Food Wednesdays as they eat, listen to music, and socialize. If you'd met Ray on the street as he canvassed the city for the 2020 election, you would find a gentle man with a large sun hat, his tiny nose ring reflecting the unrelenting sun of the desert. His unassuming presence changes once he steps on stage to rap with his band Street Blues Family. Dressed in fitted pants and a blazer with no shirt underneath, he commands the stage. Around his neck, he's got a large gold ankh, the Egyptian symbol for life that reaches almost to his waist. Ray says he has loved music since he was a little boy growing up in Mount Vernon, New York. Since I was real young, my aunt used to play music. Um, my cousin and homeboys that I grew up around, they were like famous artists and stuff. Like you have your Heavy D's, your Pete Rock, CL Smooth. I'll be Shores, all of them, you know, those are all like friends of my cousin Dicey. My mom wouldn't let me play trumpet. I went to a school where I played piano for like two, three years, but she wouldn't let me play uh, drums and trumpet because I was too loud at the house in the, in, the, in, the, in the apartments where we lived at. But uh, yeah, always been playing music. Ray moved from New York to Florida when he was 13 years old. Suddenly, having to adapt to a new home and culture, he began to pursue football and kept his passion for music a secret. Ray followed the football path to college in California and then three years as a professional arena football player before deciding to move back to Florida. It was on this trip, at the age of 27, he made a pit stop in Tucson to visit some friends. 
That night, his first love and secret passion for music was reignited, and his life changed overnight. I went to somebody's house one day, and um, we played music till like five in the morning. And um, I'm like, wow, hold up. The police didn't come here. No neighbors hated on y'all. Y'all are playing music this late. On the way home, I told my homeboy I was in the car with him, Todd. I was like, yo, Todd, I'm staying out here, bro, and I'm going to do music. Ray wasn't in a rush to create his band. He had a clear vision of what he wanted to create and went on a two-year search to find exactly the right people before creating Blue Street Family, which is an eclectic mix of hip-hop, rap, blues, and jazz. One thing to know about Ray is that he loves love. It's that simple. Whether he was putting on events like Soul Food Wednesdays or his newest project, starting a blanket and clothing drive for the homeless, it all stems from his love for the people of Tucson and his desire to give back to them. That story was produced by Tommy Lorene, who graduates in May with a degree in journalism from the University of Arizona. You can find more music from Raymond Murphy and the Street Blues family online. Murphy and Hotel Congress are committed to the return of Soul Food Wednesdays as soon as it is safe to do so. The spirit of Tucson again shines brightly in the 2021 What's Up Docs Film Festival, a collection of short documentaries that you can watch online for free, but only through February 17th. Here's film essayist Chris DeShiel with a closer look. This week I'm talking about two more short documentaries from What's Up Docs, a program of films by students at the University of Arizona School of Theater, Film, and Television. These are in the category of traditional documentary films examining public issues and affairs that assume a relatively objective point of view. Poop doesn't lie. Wastewater isn't just waste anymore. Samples can reveal a lot about the COVID-19 virus. They're testing wastewater, tracking the virus, monitoring wastewater. The University of Arizona is using an unconventional method to track COVID cases on campus. It's a dirty job that could establish an early warning system. Solution number two, directed by John Taylor and Carter Hayek, has an urgently topical subject, the innovative method employed by the U of A to detect and isolate COVID-19 infection on campus. The method is known as wastewater-based epidemiology. By testing the water in the sewer system, the staff at the Water and Energy Sustainability Technology Center is able to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. In an interview, Dr. Ian Pepper explains how it's done while wearing a t-shirt that says, poop doesn't lie. Put more scientifically, this means that fecal matter will always betray the presence of COVID-19. We are also shown sanitation engineers opening manholes and capturing samples of sewer water with their instruments. Each manhole is associated with particular student halls and dormitories. 
with same-day results attained through the samples, the university can test everyone in a hall or dorm where COVID is detected. Those who test positive can be immediately quarantined. In less than nine minutes, the film shows and explains this complex process that other schools may seek to imitate. And the humorous note set by the Poop Doesn't Lie t-shirt is mirrored by the filmmaker's choice of title. This is truly a solution number two. We have seen some crazy things, I think, in uh, the last several years, as Casalitas. And I think Tucsonans have seen some crazy things in the national level and the local level. But we have always appreciated and valued the human spirit and the willingness to strive for something more. Be Our Guest, from Martin Olerin and Jacob Robinson, profiles Casa Elitis, a Tucson-based program that provides food, shelter, and medical care to asylum seekers from Latin America. Opening with quiet shots of the building and some of the artwork decorating its doorway, we hear Donald Trump's voice on the soundtrack complaining about immigration and how, quote, they're sending us not the right people, after which we meet a staff member preparing a simple meal, then the program director talking about how everything changed after Trump took office. They used to get 100 to 200 guests a day, but starting in 2017, it decreased to an average of only one every two weeks. Throughout this seven-minute film, we see staff welcoming new guests, talking to them, teaching them English, and orienting them for life in the U.S. The emphasis is on asylum seekers as individuals with unique talents, dreams, and aspirations. The pacing and editing in the film, the silences and choice of shots, are beautiful and accomplished. We get a sense of the spirit of this place and the meaning of what they're doing. Be Our Guest carries a valuable message of hope and compassion. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Krista Scheel. All 15 documentaries in the 2021 What's Up Docs Film Festival are available for free viewing on the Loft's website now, but only through February 17th. Find them at loftcinema.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. Our interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.